The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our uh, New Testament reading this morning is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Hear the word of the Lord. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's word, and it is true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we come to you to hear your word. Would you bless us that we again would have ears to hear, Lord? Humble us, change us, draw us near. Remind us that you are always with us in all of life's storms. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. One of the uh, most surprising facts that I often hear is that flying is the safest form of transportation. It's surprising to me that the safest form of transportation is being strapped in a large metal tube, which will travel at several hundred miles an hour for several hours or an extended amount of time, albeit at a height of 28 to 35,000 feet in the air. And then it will slow down just enough so that we do not crash into the ground in a burst of flames. What I've found to be true in my experience uh, is that my faith in the pilot's ability to land the plane or to plummet us into a ball of flames in, in no way actually affects the pilot's ability to land the plane. It has no effect on his ability to land the plane. My fears rather only end up exposing my flawed faith in the whole air travel process. Now, if the next time I fly, something terrible happens, you you did indeed hear it here. Uh, Boy, I'm certain it won't. It's the safest form of, of travel, right? We all have flawed faith in some area or topic, right? There may be things that we know are safe or are overall safe, but we cannot go near it. We cannot stomach it in any way, shape, or form. There may be people or professions that we know are quite studied or they should be trusted, but we still do not trust them. Our faith falters or it's flawed in some way. I could say the word dentist, and I'm sure for some of you, your skin crawls, right? In our text today, we see that though the disciples have been with Jesus, their faith in him is yet flawed. And if we're honest, we'll see too that our faith is also flawed. But I also would hope that we would learn in this text that Jesus, the God-man, is with us in the storm. Again, that is Jesus, the God-man, is with us in the storm. And because of that, we must ask God for greater faith in this Jesus. We must ask God for greater faith in this Jesus. Now, if we're going to ask God for greater faith in someone, we want to make sure we get this person's identity right, right? That seems important. The book of Mark, as are all the Gospels, 
uh, is showing who Jesus is. This is the primary question of almost every passage in Mark. Who is Jesus? This text is quite unique in answering that question because it shows us this incredibly dramatic contrast between a sleeping Jesus and a wind and waves commanding Jesus. Giving attention to the sleeping Jesus first, we should remember that Jesus has been sitting in a boat all day, right? Teaching people on the shore about the kingdom of God. That's, that's Mark 4. And verse 38 shows us that Jesus is tired. He is wearied. He is in desperate need of sleep. How else could someone fall asleep during a hurricane-like storm? Some might point to the fact that Jesus can sleep through such a storm uh, because he is trusting in his perfect uh, heavenly father, or his trust is perfect, rather. Yes, that is true. He does perfectly trust his father in heaven, but it still stands that he is in need of rest. His sleeping is a very expression of his humanity. The apostles and the writers in the New Testament make clear that Jesus was indeed a man. He is tangible, just as tangible as the person sitting next to you. The Apostle John in 1 John tells us that they heard him, they saw him, they touched him with their hands. His voice had a sound, his eyes had color, his hands had texture. So who was this Jesus that we should have a greater faith in? He is a person, a man, one clothed in flesh and blood like us. Yet, in verses 39 through 41, we are presented with the starkest of contrasted starkest of contrasts. Just as Jesus is sleeping, he wakes, and then he rebukes the wind and the waves. Up to this point, Jesus has cured sicknesses. He's healed bodies. He's cast out demons. He's even forgiven sins, which should uh, signal us that he is divine. But here, in commanding the winds and waves, we see perhaps what is the strongest case that Jesus is, in fact, God. For the Jews, the sea was seen as an uncontrollable and a chaotic force which was counter to God, his people, his purposes. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they also, but the Jews also understood that God, only God, could command that chaotic thing, the waters. We see that in Genesis 1 as God is over the waters, yet he speaks and the waters move, Right? The Psalms, like in our call to worship this morning, speak of only God being able to silence raging storms and waters. In light of that, notice how Jesus speaks to the storm. He rebukes it. He reprimands it, like you might a small child or a household pet. In other words, Jesus speaks personally or in a personal way to the wind and the waves as if they are not just inanimate objects. And what happens they immediately obey. They recognize Jesus' voice and his authority. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God. The wind and the waves clearly know it, and we should too. While I was uh, spending time vetting different cartoons or uh, movies for our Friday night family movie night that we've been, we've been doing for some time, I was surprised to come across what seems to be a persisting cartoon it features a few crime-solving teens and, and a large greenish van, not the, the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's not them for the guys getting excited. Uh, because in this story, there is also a verbal dog that goes by the name of Scooby-Doo. 
The stories in Scooby-Doo often uh, seem to end in the same way, right? The group stands around a culprit and are often shocked to learn that that person isn't or wasn't who they thought it was going to be. Well, the disciples here in this passage are having their Scooby-Doo moment in verse 41. Zoinks! Jesus just commanded the wind and the waves. The disciples had a flawed faith in who Jesus won, one that isn't entirely ironed out until after the resurrection. Now, they believed and they hoped that Jesus would be a political savior for Israel, that they'd ride with him to glory over their enemies, over Rome, and over all the earth, and that they'd be esteemed in the process. But their question in verse 41 is that mask-revealing moment. He is not who they thought he was. He is not just a man. He is God in the flesh. But this still happens today, right? We still get Jesus wrong. We still have a flawed faith in him, or or people do. My Muslim friends believe in a Jesus who is only a prophet and nothing more. The Jehovah's Witnesses who come to my door believe in a Jesus who is the king of God's heavenly kingdom, but he is not almighty God himself. My atheist friends at best see Jesus as a good moral teacher, but again, nothing more. These flawed faiths are in a different Jesus than the one Mark is showing to us. But again, if we're honest, we too may believe in a Jesus that is not quite the real Jesus, or we may have a flawed faith in Jesus. Some of us will see Jesus certainly as God, but we see him as a distant, maybe unknowable God, one who is too far away from my life, my concerns, my fears, my hopes. We see that in our lives when there is an absence of any prayer or regular thanksgiving to God in our daily lives. I'm not talking about locking yourself in a closet for hours on end and praying, but I am talking about a life that sprinkles prayer throughout it. Prayer that's like the drip of a faucet as we give gratitude and care and and offer our cares up to God throughout the day. That says that I know God is near. He is listening Hebrews 2 says that Jesus became like us in every respect, living in a broken, though not sinful, body. A body like ours, facing temptations like we do, suffering as we do. And because of this, Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is able to help us. Some people fail to see his humanity, that he is a man, that he is near, that he is able to understand us and help us because he was like us. On the flip side, some of us have a flawed faith in seeing Jesus as only like a man, like a buddy, like a co-pilot who just wants us to be happy, right? But that Jesus doesn't really demand anything too difficult of us. That Jesus doesn't care about how I think of my parents, how I speak to or with my coworkers, of what I choose to be entertained by, or of what terrifies me day in and day out. This, too, is a wrong view of Jesus. Colossians 1 corrects that view. It says that Jesus was before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things were created by him and through him and for him. This means that your life, your lungs, your loves, all of it, it holds together because Jesus says so. This is the Jesus who in John 14 says, If you love me, you'll obey my commands. This Jesus is the Lord who spoke the wind and the waves into creation, the ones who recognize his voice in this passage. And he can, as he does in verse 40 this morning to the disciples, he can confront our flawed faith, and he can demand that we leave it behind. If we are to deal with our flawed faith, we must begin by seeing that Jesus is 
God. He is God who put on the flesh and who continues on as the God-man. We must ask God for a greater faith in the true Jesus, the God-man Jesus that Mark is displaying for us. That is the chief purpose often in Mark's text. Believe in this Jesus, the God-man. Now, this God-man Jesus, turning our attention to a second point, this God-man Jesus allows us to face storms in this life. At the start of our passage today, we see Jesus and his disciples rise up and they close up shop. They don't even touch back to the shore. Rather, Jesus says, let's head across the Sea of Galilee, which was a five-mile stretch. And they do so, as you see, with, with an entourage of other boats nearby. Now, the Sea of Galilee is situated in such a way uh, that it is so far below the sea level, or at least somewhat far below the sea level, and it's surrounded by hills and mountains that it can easily bring about immense storms, right? The hot air and the cold air mixing all of a sudden to create a monstrous storm. And that's precisely what we see in this text today. Their boat and likely the surrounding boats are filling with water. The disciples are in a storm. They're in a crisis, If we're to hit pause here, what's happening in the disciples' minds? Well, it's important to understand the disciples' minds, evil, or even just in ancient times, hardship like this, storms of life, difficulty, or simply just bad things come about because God is punishing you for some sin or wrongdoing you've done. That's how they think of this. Consider uh, the friends of Job who kept saying to Job, clearly, Job, you must have done something wrong. Otherwise, these things wouldn't be happening. Though the book of Job tells us, Uh, the very opposite. Even the disciples in John 9, when they come across a blind man, they say to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In our passage, the disciples were simply being faithful. There was no clear sin that had happened that brought this about, but they were being faithful to Jesus' request to cross the sea. They had spent the day in earnest listening, and so what sin has precipitated such judgment from God in this storm? This is perhaps why you see them so confused and angry. It is here in the storm, it's the, in the water-filling boat that we see them struck with utter terror. Rather than crying out to Jesus, we see that confusion, that flawed faith, that anger, as they, instead of waking Jesus, rebuke him, asking a fair question if we felt as they did. Don't you care that we are about to die? In verse 40, in the aftermath of Jesus' rebuke of the wind and waves, he confronts their flawed faith with those questions. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And the disciples, rather than defending themselves, saying, oh, no, we weren't really afraid, Jesus. No, they can't. They are entirely awestruck. They are filled with great fear, asking, who then is this? The disciples in their flawed faith had been concerned with the fear of death. But Jesus had been concerned with their hearts. Do you trust me? They thought the storm was going to kill them, not on account of any clear wrongdoing, and they were angry that a sleeping Jesus was seemingly oblivious to all what was happening. But Jesus was not just sleeping. He was present with them. He wasn't oblivious to what was happening. And we see rather than their lives being hidden away in death, rather their hearts and their flawed faiths were exposed. They were brought to light. Uh, for the last several months, uh, a number of our coffee table groups, that's our book study groups, as you know, uh, we've been reading a book called J-Curve. Now, there have been a, uh, quite a number of compelling stories within this book, uh, but none are quite so shocking or compelling as the story of a 17-year-old girl who became a quadriplegic after a diving accident. 
You may know of Johnny Tata Erickson. Uh, She was outgoing, athletic, and full of life. And then she wasn't. The first two years after the accident were brutal as she self-medicated with the help of friends with uh, scotch and cola. She had begged a friend to help her commit suicide, and she lived on in a deep depression. But breakthrough came for Johnny, particularly through a friend and mentor who loved her enough to give her difficult-to-hear but very needed truth that even her wheelchair, even her disability was meant to be used to declare God's cause, to declare God's news. Johnny Tata Erickson created the ministry of Johnny and Friends, which serves those with disabilities or families affected by disabilities, and it's likely served millions, millions of people through the years. Johnny faced a tremendous storm, one that has rippled out right through the rest of her entire life, and in it, as she explains, her heart was exposed. Just as the disciples' hearts were exposed in the storm, just as ours are exposed in the storm. Jesus' disciple Peter, who's there in the boat, who's the primary source that we believe for the book of Mark, um, Peter tells us in 1 Peter to welcome trials of various kinds, that we should welcome them because God is using them for good, for soul development, for growth in faith and faithfulness. It would seem that Peter, over his life, uh, his theology on trials or storms, or what we could call his storm theology, changed. It saw some improvement, right? We, too, need to grow in our storm theology. When hardship, pain, confusion enters our lives or our world, we often can resort to questioning or rebuking Jesus. Jesus, do you not care that I am alone? Jesus, do you not care that he or she doesn't like me anymore? Jesus, don't you care that I feel lost in my life or in my career? Jesus, don't you care that there's been a a virus that has brought death? Jesus, don't you care that a pandemic has ruined livelihoods? Jesus, don't you care that my parents don't understand me? Jesus, don't you care that? Fill in the blank with whatever storm comes to mind in your life today. I'm not saying that God ordains the sins of others, which can indeed cause storms to come into our lives, but I am saying that even those storms serve to expose flawed faith, where we fear the wrong things, where our idols are brought out into the light. Friends, Jesus loved his disciples too much to not allow a near-drowning experience in order to expose their flawed faith. He loved them too much to not allow them to face that in order to show them who he truly is, to give them good fear that is holy, a holy fear of God and an unholy, and to remove the unholy fear of death. Friends, God loves us too much to keep us out of storms. The storms where we might learn to fear him instead of death, him instead of bankruptcy, him instead of being alone, him instead of being disliked. God loves us too much to keep us out of the storms where we might actually gain greater faith, greater dependence upon him. Perhaps today you're facing a a storm of sorts. Today, God may be bringing something to mind. But we should be aware that God allows, that Jesus has allowed such a storm, not to destroy you, but rather that you might leave a flawed faith behind and that you might learn to depend upon him fully. We together must repent of our don't-you-care questioning of Jesus. He sees you. He knows you. He cares. The fact that you're in a storm is evidence that he does care for you. He allows such storms. 
We must ask God for greater faith in Jesus while in these storms. As we turn our attention to our final point, we must not leave this text without emphasizing where, where Jesus is in the storm. Friends, Jesus was asleep near the stern, but Jesus is in the boat. Now, the Bible certainly tells us uh, of individual stories, uh, individual passages all over, right? But, but the Bible overall is telling one grand story. Our, uh, we, are, we are to notice when certain stories overlap with past events or past stories. So our Old Testament reading today was about the prophet Jonah, right? God told Jonah to go and to call a city, Nineveh, to repent and to believe in God. But Jonah hated those people so much that he hopped on a boat and went the opposite direction. Now, as Jonah slept in the belly of the boat, not because he was at rest trusting in God, not because he was wearied from his hard ministry, but, but rather he was resting from his uh, rebellion against God, God went ahead and stirred up a storm. The sailors wake Jonah in their fear, and they berate him to call upon his God to save them. Jonah finally convinces them to throw him overboard, which immediately stops the storm. And it leads to a holy fear and a worship of the Lord by those foreign sailors. Notice the overlapping details here. Both Jonah and Jesus are on the sea. Both are asleep amidst a storm. God allows or brings about a magnificent storm, and those in the boats are in utter fear of death. Both Jonah and Jesus are awakened by a rebuke. Both storms are silenced in one single action. Both foreign sailors and the disciples are left with great and holy fear of God. These similarities are meant to trigger us that we see it, but they're also meant to be so obvious in order that we see the differences between these stories. Jonah was in rebellion and abandoning his calling. Jesus was, is made tired and weary by following his calling. One storm is meant to expose Jonah's heart. Another storm is meant to expose the disciples' hearts, their flawed faith. Jonah is awakened to a justified rebuke. Jesus is awakened to a baseless rebuke. Jonah is thrown overboard to silence the storm. Jesus speaks a word, and the storm is silenced. In the books of Romans and Corinthians, we hear that Jesus is a better Adam, right? He's the new and better Adam in uh, uh, in Hebrews, we hear that Jesus is a better Moses. He's a better prophet than Moses was. He's coming in his, in his likeness. Matthew's gospel shows us that Jesus is a better Israel. Israel as an entire people, a nation. Jesus is a better Israel. Here in this story, we should see that Jesus is a better Jonah. Jesus' names alone could tell us that. His name means, Jesus, that is, means he will save his people from their sins. His other name, Emmanuel, means God with us. Jesus is a better Jonah. When I was looking at these two storms, it made me think of another somewhat famous storm scene, is, uh, which is found in the 1994 film Forrest Gump. In the film Forrest Gump, uh, he saves uh, several men from the front lines of Vietnam. One man in particular by the name of Lieutenant Dan uh, gets saved by, by Forrest, but Lieutenant Dan loses his legs in the process. You maybe remember the scene, or if you haven't, it's a, it's a fantastic film. But Lieutenant Dan is found to be faithless, to be bitter, and he's angry at God in the world, which is somewhat funny as it's juxtaposed with Forrest's very clear, genuine faith uh, in life for his simplicity as he goes about life. Later in the film, Lieutenant Dan holds to a sarcastically spoken promise to be Forrest's first mate when Forrest becomes a shrimp boat captain. They are terribly unsuccessful at first, and uh, Lieutenant Dan sarcastically tells Forrest to pray to his God about it. 
While the success still doesn't come, Lieutenant Dan asks Forrest or, or uh, pokes Forrest and says, where is this God of yours? It's in that very moment that they are struck by a hurricane. Well, Forrest is frightened by the storm. Initially, Lieutenant Dan sits on top of the mast doing what? Do you remember, he's screaming and cursing at the sky. He's telling God, you'll never sink this boat. Forrest tells us later in the aftermath of the storm and the booming business that comes along that Lieutenant Dan seemed to find peace with God. Now, the sailors in Jonah's story know that God is out there somewhere controlling such a storm, right? And they know this, or you can see it, because they're asking everyone to call out to their respective God to try and stop this storm. Lieutenant Dan curses towards the sky where he presumes God to be, a different strategy than the sailors, right? But the disciples, whether they understood it or not, they only needed to travel a few feet to the stern of the ship. That is where God was. Jesus, God in the flesh, was already in the boat with them. Jesus is the better Jonah, not simply because he is more faithful, though he is, but because he is, in fact, God. And he is not God off in the clouds, unable to be found, unable to be seen, heard, and touched. But he is there. He's in the boat with his disciples. Perhaps today, in one way or another, you are like the sailors in Jonah's story, who are initially calling out to different gods, trying to see if you'll get it right. You are seeking salvation from some storm, and maybe because you haven't gotten the answer you want, you keep going down the line. You're looking elsewhere. Maybe it's a national stage storm, and you are ever angry about leaders, politicians, and corruption. Maybe it's a sickness storm like that of an aching body that just won't stop, or that of a virus which has conquered people in fear. Perhaps the storm is a stubborn child, a sick parent, an unsolvable problem at work, a boyfriend who doesn't like you anymore, a broken relationship with family, or maybe a persistent spirit of depression. Perhaps you've even given up looking after other gods, and you're just cursing the sky now. Friends, if you have trusted in Jesus, you need not look to other gods. You need not curse the sky Jesus is in the boat with you. The one who spoke storms into existence, he put on flesh and he healed bodies and he cast out demons and he forgave sins. He slept in a boat with his beloved disciples and he hung on pieces of wood for them and for you and for sinners like us. He rose again and he sent the Holy Spirit, that is the Spirit of Christ, into our hearts. Jesus is in the boat with us. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God in us. He lives in us by the Spirit. This means that Jesus is ever aware of what you're facing. You need only lean over. You need only lean over and ask for greater faith in this Jesus. He will not let you face any storm solo. Remember, these storms can be used for good. He's allowed it to come, but he's with you in it. Before I conclude, perhaps today you are someone looking for different gods to save you. Perhaps you're sitting and cursing at the sky, but you have yet to trust in Jesus. I invite you to turn from your searching from your cursing God, and from your cursing of God, from, from the constant questioning, do you not care, Jesus? I invite you to invite Jesus into the boat through faith in him as Savior and Lord. The storms that you have faced, the storms that circle above you now, and the ones that will come are meant 
They are meant for you to notice an empty spot near the stern of your ship. The one where Jesus would sit. Turn from and give up your fear of death and everything else and trust in the God-man, Jesus, today. To close, you might remember uh, on Ash Wednesday, we sang a song we hadn't sang before uh, at the very start of Lent. We sang a hymn which encapsulates so well our longings to grow in greater faith and the storms that God uses to bring about that greater faith. And because I'm not Pastor Chad, I won't sing it to you, but I will read it to you. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will you pursue my life to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free and break your schemes of earthly joy that you may find your all in me. Friends, the God-man Jesus is with us in the storm. We must ask God for a greater faith in this Jesus. A faith which sees Jesus not in the way we want to see him, but in the way he actually is. A divine God putting on flesh as a man so that he might bring God to us and that he might take us to God. We must ask God for a greater faith in Jesus, a faith that has better storm theology, which sees life's storms as God's instruments to bring us to a greater dependence upon him. Finally, we must ask God for a greater faith in Jesus, a faith that does not search out for fake gods just trying to get it right, a faith that is not just cursing at the sky, but rather a faith that understands that Jesus is sitting next to you in the boat. He dwells within us by the Spirit of Christ, that is the Holy Spirit, And he will never, no, not ever, leave you in the storm. Let's pray.